Hi, I'm Gordon. And I'm Fiona. We're from Gate Church International in Dundee, Scotland, and we'd like to welcome you to this week's podcast. Our goal here is growing people to bring Christ into our communities and to see you get connected with God, His people, and His purpose. We hope this message inspires you in your faith journey. Thank you. Well, I guess I'm steady because I've been here 43 years. It's a long time, isn't it? Sorry, guys. I actually trumped all of you on the stage, but uh, it's really good to be with you this morning. Uh, Can I just say, this is amazing, isn't it? I am so blown away by the gratefulness of people in this house, whether it be in gift or in word, because I know many people are uh, thankful um, to... uh, our children's church team as well. And um, so it's just so, so good um, to see all of that. And how amazing is this? I'm getting that many gifts, three sleeps till Christmas. Have you all got your gifts? Are you all sorted? I, I'm nearly there. So I'm, I'm quite impressed because I'm a Christmas Eve rapper. So normally I'm like crazy, crazy night shift doing all the Christmas wrapping for my kids. But actually, I've got some under the tree, so I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sorted uh, this year, so I'm kind of glad about that. I wonder uh, how old you were when you stopped believing in Santa. How old were you when you stopped believing in Santa? Put up your hand if you were 12 or older. No? 10? I'm sorry, I've, I've maybe just crashed some people's, you know, beliefs this morning, but were you 8? or older? Six? Oh, we've got less hands. Do you know that a recent report has identified that a third of UK kids stop believing in Santa at six years old? Six years. I know. It seems crazy, doesn't it? And, but they pretend just for the sake of their parents and for the sake of their presence, I guess. But, but do you know what's blamed for that? Google. Apparently, apparently, our kids are now checking Google to see if Santa is real. So there you go. Now, I can't identify with any of you because I was brought up in a very strict Christian home. And only Jesus was the reason for the season in my household. I kid you not, I got no stockings, no nothing. And I'm still, you know, having to ask God for healing over that issue in my life. <laughs> I also think it was maybe partly due to the fact that my mum was actually devastated when she realised her parents had been lying to her the whole time. So there's a bit of that as well. But the good news is this morning is that we stand on truths this morning. Not a lie, not a made-up story, even though it brings much great excitement, I know, for children. But we stand on truths. And this morning I want to talk to you about three truths, three B's to believe in, because I'm a teacher and I like to do things like that. So three B's to believe in this morning. And um, do you know, when we study the word believe in the scriptures, the best place to start is the book of John. Uh, The gospel of John has actually more references to believe than any of the three other gospels put together. So it talks about believe, 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 all the way through the Gospel of John. And in fact, John writes that his whole purpose for writing the book of John is that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, 
and that believing you may have life in his name. Isn't that good news this morning? That when we believe in Jesus the Christ, that we have life in his name. And that is truth this morning. And you know, in the book of John, believe is a verb. It's not a noun, it's not a concept or a, um, a, an ideal or a doctrine. We don't um, set our mind, although we do, <laughs> set our mind to agree with the principles of God. It's more the believe in the book of John is the Greek word pistio. I'm probably not pronouncing that right, but it's something like that. And it means faith, confidence, devotion, all of life commitment. It talks of trust in one who is trustworthy. One who is trustworthy. Jesus. Jesus Emmanuel, God who is with us. And you know, it's... Um, it talks of relationship, and that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. So, three Bs, three Bs to believe. The first one starts in Genesis. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. I'm going to just shut my Bible and bring up the worship team, because that is the foundation of today. I could walk off right now and leave you there. In the beginning, God. He is our foundation. He is Father, Son, Holy Spirit in the beginning, before the mountains and the oceans, before um, the fish and the plants and the animals, before mankind, God, God. He is our foundation. He was, He is, He is to come. He is the great I am. He is present in the past. He is present in the now. He is present in your future. He is the great I am, and that is His eternal truth his eternal truth. Do you know, we start at the beginning, within the beginning in Genesis, and then we go to the book of John, and John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Talks of Jesus. Jesus is the Word, and he was in the beginning, the Word. And then right at the end of the Bible, we find Revelation. And Revelation ends with the same truth. I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Alpha and Omega, the first and last letters in the Greek alphabet. I love it how John describes Jesus, the Word, using the alphabet, using letters of the alphabet, because that means that He is the Word in your life. It doesn't matter who's spoken about you or to you, whether it be written in reports or whether it be spoken to you, whether it be words that you've spoken over yourself or accusations that you've come against you. The Word, Jesus, is the first and the last Word in your life. And that is the truth you need to hold on. He is the first and the last word spoken over you. What are you believing this morning? Are you believing in his word spoken over you or all the other words spoken over you or spoken over yourself? He is the first and the last word, the first and the last, the alpha and the omega. And I love this scripture from Isaiah. We're going to look at Isaiah 46. And it's uh, verse 9 to 11, and it says this, For I am God, and there is no other. He's the beginning, yes? I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning. 
and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and will accomplish all, all my purpose. I have spoken, I will bring it to pass, I have purposed, and I will do it. Don't you just love that scripture? He knows the end from the beginning. He has spoken. There are people here today that need to hear that. He has spoken. He has purposed. What he says will be accomplished in your life, for he has set himself to do it. He has purposed to do it, and he will do it. When he speaks over your life, it's truth. No matter what your circumstances, it's truth, and that's the truth that we stand on. That's our belief in what we stand on. And so, I, um, when I was, um, I have four children, and my second born, Daniel, was 13 days late. And as a result, he was a big boy. He was nine pounds five. I know, big boy. And um, so, in the delivery room, I delivered Daniel, and to be honest, I was just relieved. <laughs> Absolutely relieved he was out, but he actually was born not breathing totally not breathing. And I didn't really understand. I knew that something was going on and midwives were um, taking him out of the room for recess. And I was, but in my head, it was either drugs or the fact that I was just relieved that he was out, that I wasn't really there in that moment. I wasn't, I wasn't really understanding the seriousness of the situation. But Craig, he was. And Craig has got a medical background. He's a paramedic and everything in him wanted to do something. You know, he just, but he was, he was, there in that moment, kind of powerless in the hands of midwives, but knowing, oh my goodness, my son, my the second born child is not breathing. And that panic started to arise. And at that moment, he started to pray. And God started to speak to him. And God started to show him the end from the beginning. He started to see Daniel as a fully grown man. He's, God started speaking to him about what plans that he had for Daniel. And that filled his heart with peace and with hope because already God knew the end from the beginning. And it brought peace and it brought hope. And fortunately, as you can tell, Daniel was brought back from recess. He was totally fine. And I was able to hold him in my arms and just be relieved that I had him. Fast forward five years, five, six years on, and Daniel is here in this church. I'm probably doing something to do with children's church, tidying cupboards, doing something, and my kids are all around. So I have Daniel, Naomi, and Jenna. They're just playing, and I don't know where they are. They're somewhere in the church, and um, they find boiled sweets, and Daniel puts the boiled sweet in his mouth, and after a little time, it got wedged in his throat and he couldn't breathe. And the girls, Naomi and Jenna, panic and start running towards me to find me in the building. And in that moment of time, Daniel, in his panic of not breathing, starts to hear God speak, starts to be reminded of what his father had told him when he was a boy, when he was first born, when he wasn't breathing, God knew the end from the beginning. And God starts to remind him, I've got a purpose for you. I've got a plan for you. And he starts to speak and declare what good things are ahead for Daniel. And that brought peace to Daniel. But more than that, miraculously, that wedged, boiled sweet 
was literally thrust out of his mouth onto the ground. Total miraculous. It was like an angel had done the Heimlich maneuver. And that sweet was on the ground. And at that time, again, I'm always last to the party. I come in, do you know, and find him totally fine, totally fine. But there is examples of where God knows the end from the beginning. His spoken word can bring us peace, can bring us life, can bring us hope. When we know he has purpose, he has a purpose for each and every one of us. He knows the end. It might not feel like that. You might be in in a situation just now, you just think, how, why? God knows the end from the beginning, and he will declare it, and he will purpose it, and he brings great truth as you listen, as you hear his word over your life. Second B, Okay, so our God wants you to have that faith, to have that confidence, to have that belief, that trust, that all of life commitment to this, his birth, Jesus' birth. Do you know that there are 300 prophecies that foretell the birth, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus? God knows the end from the beginning. He purposed that Jesus would come to this earth. He purposed the birth of Christ. He purposed that Emmanuel, God with us, as John says in 1.14, it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. What hope we have that God, out of His great love, out of His great mercy, sent His only Son, that whoever believes in Him might not perish, but have everlasting life. That's our hope. That's our great God, the great God who saw mankind in a desperate state and sent his only son that he might die, he might live and die and be raised to life so that we can have life, so that we can know hope, that we can know his purpose over our lives. And that birth was surrounded really in um, some unusual circumstances, wasn't it? So we have actually some more bees. We have a birth. We have a barn. He was placed in a box. And he was in Bethlehem. Yeah. So a birth, a barn, placed in a box in Bethlehem. And you know, God, he chose to clothe himself into humanity. He chose to be born through a teenage virgin Mary. Do you know, imagine being brought into that family with all the scorn and shame that surrounded that particular circumstance at that particular time. A young family, a teenage mum. Do you know, that was an unusual circumstance for those times. And he chose for his birth to be in a barn, smelly, dirty, no room, no place set aside for him, placed in a box, just whatever was around at the time, a feeding box for the animals. He was born in Bethlehem, a place so small, so insignificant, the place that was known as the house of bread. And you know, we've seen enough nativity plays, Christmas cards, we've read this account so many times in God's word, that it all kind of seems normal to us. It kind of seems like, yeah, that's, that's how Jesus chose to come to this earth. But you know, this, the believers at the time, they were just totally confused. Do you know, they'd, 
it was totally unexpected. They were, when they were expecting their Messiah, their King, they were waiting for him to come in his splendor, in his majesty. Do you know, days of old, God came in a pillar of fire and clouds. He came in a triumphal entry. He came in majesty and splendor. And so, for the believers at the time, this was just so unexpected, so life lived ordinary, living in a carpenter's home and being part of that particular family. It was just a life ordinary. And you know, we can go through seasons in our life, can't we, where nothing around you makes sense. Nothing is really how you expected it to be. Nothing is where you want it to be. Jesus isn't coming in the way or at the time that you expect. You're not alone in that. The disciples, they, the believers at the time, they were always confused. I love reading the Gospels. It's so funny because they just don't get it all the time. Of course, we can be really smug because we know that end from the beginning. But they were in that moment where Jesus so often was talking in the heavenly places about his kingdom, about that upside down kingdom. And they were just like, we're going to just take over Israel and we're just going to, you know, defeat the Roman. You know, they were just totally different mindset. They, have, they had a totally different idea of how Jesus should come. And, you know, there's an account in John 11 uh, where we read of a family that tragedy hits. And this family are well known to Jesus. It's the two sisters and a brother. It's Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And Lazarus becomes really ill, like really ill. And the sisters send word to Jesus. And Jesus at that point is in Jordan with his disciples. And Jesus declares the end from the beginning because he declares, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. That was his spoken word over this situation. And then in verse 5 of John 11, we, we read something that kind of makes you stop and think. So Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was say, what? Rewind? Rewind? Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, so he stayed two days longer. That doesn't, to our mind, that makes no sense. It's like, he's sick. You need to go now. He, he needs your help now. We need to go quick. No, Jesus said, because he loved them, he stayed two days longer. It doesn't compute with our mind, does it? It doesn't compute with our human thought. And a few days do pass, and Jesus tells his disciples, Lazarus has fallen asleep. I'm going to go and awaken him. And they're totally confused again, like, oh, right, okay, we're going to wake him up, and then he'll recover. And he's like, no, Lazarus is dead. <laughs> you know, just let's make this clear. Lazarus is dead. And, um, and again, they have this crazy conversation about, oh, right, so we're going to go and die with them too then. Yeah, let's go. Let's go and die with them too. And, you know, they're just in some other um, planet, really. <laughs> but but we, we do find Jesus going. And, of course, by that point, Lazarus is dead. 
And three people or three groups of people come and to Jesus, and they come with the same question. Jesus, if you'd been here, he would not have died. If you had been here, if you had only been here, first Martha, then Mary, and then the mourners that were with Mary and Martha. And to Martha, he brings the word. He says, your brother will rise again. And he said to her, he revealed himself to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. He brought truth to her situation, to her question. He brought his word. And to Mary, to Mary, same question. But he came with compassion. He revealed his heart. He was greatly troubled, it says, and moved, and he wept. He brought his self. He brought his heart. And to the mourners and to the disciples, he brought his glory. Because he said, take away the stone. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Lazarus came out. Lazarus came forth. Do you know, you might be in a situation right now where you're right in the middle of that tragedy. It's, your own sto it's not this story, but it's your own story. Your own pain, your own grief, your own tragedy, your own difficulty. And God wants to reveal himself through his spoken word. I am the resurrection and life. Everything that is dead, he brings life. He is the resurrection and the life. And he wants to reveal his heart for you. He wants to bring his heart to you, his comfort to you. And he wants to bring his glory. He is the way maker, the miracle worker. He's going to bring his answer to you in that situation, in that season. It might not be in your timing, but it's in his perfect timing so that he might be glorified. We don't always understand his timing, do we? We're on, this, we're on this planet, all right? We're on this planet, and there's that tension between the here and now and our heavenly home. And that's sometimes a really hard place to be, but God is faithful. God is good, and he wants to reveal himself to you this morning. So we're ready for the third B? Okay. So, as I said, believe. Believe is that faith, that trust that confidence, that all-of-life commitment. And the third B is the God-breathed Word of God. And to Timothy 3, it says, all Scripture is God-breathed, the breath of God. God wants you to believe in His Word, in that God-breathed Word. Jesus even said, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God, every word. So we're right back at Jesus, aren't we? Jesus was the word at the beginning. He was born in Bethlehem, that house of bread, and he declares himself to be the bread of life. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. 
That's in John 6. You know, I believe God wants to speak this morning His Word to you. He is the Word. And in His Word, we receive Him. Yeah? In His Word, we receive Him. The Bible says that His Word is at work in us. His Word is at work in us. So I'm going to ask the band up just now because I want to spend the next couple of minutes speaking God's Word over you. Throughout John, John declares himself to be I am. And I am is that God who is present. He is present. He was, he is, and he is to come. He's present in your past. He's present right now. And he's present in your future. And Jesus declares I am. Throughout John, he declares, I am. And so I'm just going to, I just want you to meditate on this and allow God's spoken word to come alive to, and receive him in his spoken word. So I'm going to read some of the I am's that Jesus declared himself to be, and then we're just going to pray and we're going to um, worship. So he says, I am yesterday, today, and forever. He says, I am the gate. I am the gate, that those who come in through me will be saved. He is that gate to salvation. He is that gate where when you come to him, he, he find, you find a safe place. Yeah, that image, that image of the gate was around um, sheep being hemmed in and kept safe. So he is the gate that you come to to feel safe. He leads you to that safe place. He is the good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. He lays down his life for you. He laid down his life for you. He, he laid down his divinity. He was clothed in humanity. He lay down his life as he was nailed to the cross. He laid down his life for you. And it says in his word that he knows you. He knows you by name. He knows you by name. He knows your voice. He speaks and you will hear. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way to God the Father except through Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth. He brings so much life, life, resurrection life, a living hope. He was raised to life so that when we look on him, we can have hope that is living because he suffered death and yet was raised to life. So we can look on him with such confidence and trust. He's our living hope. He says of himself, I am the vine. I'm the vine. It speaks of being connected to him, that we are the branches. It speaks of fruitfulness over your life, that when you're connected to him, then fruit will remain. And apart from him, you can do nothing. You can do nothing without him. He says, I am the light of the world. You don't need to live in darkness. You have light that leads to life. Isn't this good? Isn't this God's good word? This is God's life-giving word that's at work in you. And the last one is, I am the resurrection and the life. He wants to show you his glory. He wants to show you his glory.
And you know, in John 1 verse 12, it says, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It's that simple. We believe, we receive, and we're his kids. We're his children. We're part of his family. We believe and we receive. That's his word. That's his promise to you today. And you know, if you've never confessed in Jesus, your belief in Jesus, today is the day. Today is the day. Confess your belief in him, that he was born, that he died, that he was raised to life, that he's the son of God. And when we give our life commitment, when we give that trust, when we give that hope to him, then he does not disappoint. We receive him. We receive him. And you know, there are others that are here today that just need to know that he is the first and last word in your life. You need to believe again. His purpose over you is, will be accomplished. He has spoken. He will bring it to pass. He has purposed and he will do it. You need to have that mind shift today, that belief, that renewed hope. His purpose over you will be accomplished. And then there are those that are in the middle of tragedy, in the middle of pain. Nothing is how it was meant to be. You've got questions. You've got questions. And he wants to bring his word. He wants to bring his heart. And he wants to show you his glory. He wants to bring his answer to you today. And lastly, there are people that need to believe again in his word. You're spiritually starving. You need to get back in his word. You need to allow God to speak to you through his word. You need to allow that word to wash over you, to do its work in you, to let you believe again. He wants to speak life. He wants to speak the I am's over your life. So let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for this time where we gather together in your name. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you chose. You chose, though you were at the beginning and you were the word at the beginning, you chose to clothe yourself in humanity and be born on this earth. You were born to die and yet were raised to life again. And Father, it's in that belief and that hope that we receive you. We receive you right now. We receive you and all your goodness and all your truth, and all your peace, and all your glory, we receive you. We receive you right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your living hope. Thank you for your living hope. Thank you for your resurrection in your life. In Jesus' name.